Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, and may the Lord unusually bless you at this Christmas season. I I want to share with you something very simple, uh, because wherever we stand in the, the, these things, our attention is at least in the direction of the Christian celebration of Christmas. And I, I just want to make emphasis from the scripture as to what we're really talking about, because I find there are many who would be my brothers and sisters in Christ who have very little concept of what was happening at what we call Christmas. Okay, and I want to read from the book of the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 5, and in verse 2, he says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, One will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. One verse, although there's uh, plenty more actually that is reflected in the rest of the chapter, but it's that verse that Micah wrote. Now, Micah wrote that around in 700 plus BC, that is approximately 700 years before Jesus was born, Micah wrote those words. And that, that is amazing, for it is a clear prophecy that the Messiah, the promised one, would be born in Bethlehem. In fact, the name Micah, his name, And as you might know, the Hebrew names are little sentences in the original language. They just sound like a name to us, but they are actually sentences in the Hebrew language. And Micah means, who is like God? And one would have to say that. Um, Micah's whole life was dedicated to that question, exclamation, But when I read this, 700-some years before Jesus was born, Micah specifically, he basically gives us the address of where Jesus was to be born. And that was understood. I'm not just reading into that. Because if you remember when the wise men came searching for Jesus and they go to the temple and they said, where is the Messiah to be born? The priests in the temple immediately turned to this verse and gave it to the wise men and said, this is what the scripture says. And so it was understood. This is basically the address where the Messiah shall be born and spoken 700-some years before he came. Now, it says that this one who is going to be born in Bethlehem, it says his goings forth are from, well, ancient days, or you, and he goes on to say, and from eternity. His goings forth. And so that, that's a key phrase in the understanding of what this is, is about, He says, there's one to be born in Bethlehem, and that one has been going forth since forever. And and this that he's speaking about is the sort of ultimate going forth of this one. Going forth. It is speaking of the God who is love, who will not leave us alone. Can you... 
Can you grasp that? that? That God is the God who refuses to be God without us. He refuses just to leave us. He created us out from his love. He created us to love us. And therefore, he is ever coming, ever coming to the human in order to establish the union and the relationship. He's ever going forth. And the very first time we come up against that is when mankind sinned. It's a little story there in Genesis in chapter 3. Mankind has sinned. Adam and Eve, the first couple of the human race, they have sinned. And the, the immediate result of sin is that warping and twisting of the mind, the, the blinding of inside eyes as to who God really is. And so they flee at the sound, it says, at the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, the sound of the presence of God, Now, there's a whole thought by itself. But the sound of the presence of God in the garden uh, caused this couple to flee from that presence. And they stupidly hide themselves in the trees, in the bushes of the garden, as if you could hide from the presence of God. And it then says that the voice of the Lord filled that garden, and and the, the voice was saying, Adam, where are you? That, that's an amazing question. Adam, where are you? It, it's, it, it, it's as if God is saying that you, you normally would come to greet me, you normally would delight in my presence, but where are you? I have come to find you. And I will not be put off. Adam, where are you? The call echoes around the garden. The insistence, the unrelenting love of God for the human. He will not let us go from the very beginning. As part of his being, he seeks to save and to bring us to where we belong. And... His going forth is then seen throughout history. He he is ever going forth. Do do you know what I mean? He's he's never locked up in himself. He's never separated from us. He's ever coming into. He's going forth from his own self into our situation. That's the story of the Old Testament. God's going forth into our history and revealing himself in historical acts. We, we know who God is by what he has consistently done since the beginning. He's never left us alone. He's ever come after us, invaded, if I could use that term in terms of goodness. Goodness has invaded us in our darkness and will not let us go. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You can't get rid of him just by turning your back on him. And now Micah, having identified this one who has been consistently coming to us, now he says that he is coming finally. He will go forth from Bethlehem. You could say, he who never began, he who is the unbeginning God, now has a beginning. His going forth, this one is different. It is the ultimate, it is the final going forth of God in love to meet with us humans. He became flesh. I have we ever grasped that? Have you ever grasped what was going on in Bethlehem? Do we grasp what was happening in these days? Understand me, there there is such an emphasis upon the cross of Jesus, the bloodshedding of Jesus. And I say amen to it all, but I must say that unless we know who it is that was nailed to the cross, 
and the cross makes no sense and, and is devalued to the point of stupidity that uh, um, Jesus was just a, a martyr for his faith and died because he loved. No, no, you, you've got, who is that person on the cross? That makes all the difference as to what is happening there. He is God. God become flesh. God who has in Bethlehem He's born, born like any one of us, born through the birth canal, born through the water breaking of Mary's womb. God was birthed among us. And this person who is a hundred percent human, yet when I look in his eyes, that person there is the Son of God. He's God become flesh. And and he walks among us, so one of us, that nobody could believe that he was the Son of God. They, they said, is not this the carpenter of Nazareth? Who does he think he is? So he looked like a carpenter in a third world country village. That, that's... But he has become one with us and, and shares our situation. That, that's what this is about. That's... That's when, when people say keep Christ in Christmas, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. But, but what we're saying is it's not merely keeping Christ in Christmas, it's facing the absolute reality that God, creator God, took to himself and limited himself to our humanity and, and, and was born like any other human being, born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah. What was Bethlehem? Well, there's not much to it today, but in those days, Bethlehem was, what could I say? It was a crossroads there in the hills of of Judah, the, the southernmost point of this land called Israel. Um, it's about five miles south of Jerusalem, something like that. And, and as I say, today there's very little there. In fact, what is there is, is a lot of tourists who want to go to this place where Jesus was born. But Bethlehem, I say, it was just a crossroads. It was a collection of farmers, ranchers, and that they had their fields and they had their wheat and their barley. It it was, well, it says here, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah, Bethlehem. There's nothing to talk about here, nothing. You're Bethlehem. It was essentially for a very long time in the hands of of the family that produced David the king, uh, and that, that was about it. It's the sort of place today where really it would be too small to have a resident police force. We've got those places here in Texas. The sheriff looks after you while he's looking after the rest of the county. Um, or, or you have marshals. But the, you see, it's it's too small, too insignificant to have its own fire department, you see. So you depend on a bunch of volunteers and hope they show up. It's, that that's the place, you see, just, just a, yeah, I mean, no traffic light. When you go through a place like this, you have to be told you've gone through it. He was born there. Oh, yes, I know we've heard this before, but let me look at it. Can can I grasp this? God, the creator of all that is, he who spoke in Genesis 1, and when he spoke it is so, this one is now going to enter into his own creation. He's going to assume the body of human creature. (laughs) And he's born here. That's ridiculous, you see. Uh, to to the whole concept of the great lie that came about in the Garden of Eden when it said to the human, you shall be as God. That That is, of course, God without love. 
God uh, uh, described then as God of all power. And that's why people love the term almighty God uh, until we recognize that is almighty love. But almighty, we, we think of God of power, God of separate upness. How many people, even believers, talk about the man upstairs or and when they talk about God, they point up, 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 because to them that's power. And we cringe before power. We cower before power. Power renders us quite paralyzed and speechless. Power. It's, it's the idea, the lie idea of greatness and magnificence, uh, of importance. It's you're up there, and I'm afraid of you. You're so big, I can't approach you. You're too important for the likes of me. And the addiction of this generation, the become fame, famous, which means everyone will speak my name. I'll be known and mouthed across the world. I'll be unique and separate and awesome and majesty is interpreted as pomp and parade and unapproachableness and all the rest of it power the 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 lie created a concept of power that was arrogance that said serve me power, that which crushes all opposition, that which dominates others, that imposes one's will upon another. Power, that which despises the less, as I look down upon them from my loftiness. It's power, it's that sneer at the lesser person and calls them stupid because I have the power. It's it's the person who slams their fist onto the counter and says, don't you know who I am? It's all the lie. That's all straight out of the pit of Satan. Power. Now, that's the way of all human dictators. It's the way of the kings of the earth, the leaders of the earth, leaders of religion, too, in many cases, that, that we see domination we see the crushing of others in order to establish what i understand is grandeur and you see this passage is talking about this one who is coming and he shall come it says to be ruler in israel the ruler the king and he says but you Bethlehem Ephrathah. It doesn't, do you understand? It doesn't fit. When, when the true greatness, when the real majesty, when the real king, when he comes, he's born in Bethlehem, born a collection of country homes, and I don't mean the kind you find in glossy magazines, uh, shacks, if you like. And, and they've got this inn. I, I don't want you to think of it as a Marriott, not even a Motel 6. It, it, it was really and truly a truck stop. That would be the absolute description of it today. Um, there is that Uh, yes this is where David came from if you trace back um, the genealogy of Jesus directly to David the great king of the Old Testament and he yes he was born in Bethlehem to a rancher there but that wasn't his glory days Bethlehem is when he was obviously unwanted in the family. He was less than insignificant, and his father sent him off into the hills to look after sheep and don't bother to come home until you have to. Um, he's, uh, Bethlehem is, is where David was born, but as an unwanted, poverty-stricken peasant. This is where this one shall be born. It's amazing. 
please, please don't, don't fall for this sentimentalism, especially at a time like Christmas. I could say the same thing about Easter. Uh, don't, don't, don't fall for the sentimentalism. There is something that's, what can I say? It's, it's rough life here. Rough. All the people uh, uh, surrounding this event, they're, they're a rough bunch. They, they are the illiterate. They're, they're the peasants who, yeah, you better watch your purse when you're around them. That's where he was born, into the middle of this. You see, because God power is the reverse of what humans call power. God power is the truth, as human power is the lie. Because God power is God love. It's that word in the New Testament, agape. What, what, what is agape? It's the reverse. Everything that I just said about human concept of power is the reverse of that. Agape is the total giving of oneself to another, to seek their highest and their best. Agape, it is spontaneous. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, Spontaneous in that it is not created by the beauty of, or the goodness of the object. That is, God does not love a person. He does not love the human race because of their goodness, because there's something in him that responds to them. His love is not like a heat-seeking missile. His love is spontaneous. That is, it arises out of his being. It's who he is. And he loves because you're there, because you're breathing. You didn't do anything to make him love you. He loves you because of who he is. That's God's power. God does not love us because of our response to his love. He loves us freely, spontaneously. And that love, agape, ever seeks to unite us. Well, I I don't know how to say this strong enough. This is not, what shall I say, a tendency. It's not, no, no, no. It's not something that um, he, he will do on some occasions, even most occasions. It is, this is the way God is. And it means that because God is God, this is what he will always do. Agape, God love is ever, always. The, what can I say? Yes, I'll use the word almighty, personal energy of God going out to embrace you and draw you to himself. That's agape. That's the definition of the word it means love, God love, agape, is that, that energy of God that will not rest until he has overcome anything and everything that stands between you and him. He overcomes everything that would separate us from that love. And agape has one goal in view, to bring you into himself, that you might know, how strongly can I say that word, know by personal experience and observation, the presence of this one who loves you unlimitedly and freely. And he makes all that known to every person, specifically the lowest, the least, and the lost. That's, that's God's power. And what we're looking at here into Bethlehem, and Bethlehem sort of uh, lets us know what's about to happen. You don't find kings, especially creator, God king, born in a place like Bethlehem just doesn't work out that way. They're they're supposed to be born in capital cities like Jerusalem. 
I know it's just five miles up the road, but um, that would have been, you'd have expected. That's what God is David, David, yes, he was born in Bethlehem. He got out of there as fast as he could. He was out of there by the time he was a teenager. And he made his international capital headquarters, Jerusalem. And that's where the beautiful temples were built, the great palaces of Solomon. That, that's all that looks like the grandeur and the majesty and the greatness. But he wasn't born there. He was born down the road in a place that they hesitated before they even bothered to put it on the map. It was an invasion, but it was a love invasion. It was the invasion of a new kind of power, which was at the same time a new kind of love. It was the the bursting into the world of God's majesty, which never had to crush people to establish itself, never had to execute the offenders to establish his authority. No, no, that's all belonging to the false stuff that spewed like vomit into the human race from the mouth of Satan. No, no, this is, this is God's grandeur, which serves his people. This is this is God power which lays down his life for his people and beloved. This was it, Bethlehem. Well, actually, I should say this. Bethlehem was, what shall I say, the second act? Would that be it? The, the, the invasion took place, you see, nine months before. Because Bethlehem was the birth of this one. But it all began at what we Christians call the Incarnation. And the Incarnation took place nine months previous, 70 miles north in Nazareth. When the angel Gabriel came and appeared to a very young peasant girl. I don't know if you've thought about this, but in the days of which we speak, girls were married off at a very young age. I, I, I place Mary, this isn't in the Bible, this is what we know have happened in those days from other literature, but I, I would imagine Mary to be around 14, 15. Um, that's when she would be married. Um, and, and, and so to her, and she's a peasant. Again, I keep using that word, but there, that's, the, that's the strata of society that we're dealing with in this whole story. And the angel came to her and announced to her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and that she would conceive and she would bear a son and that son would be the fulfillment of every great promise of the Old Testament. In fact, said the angel, that one would be the son of God. Without a human father, Mary, she bore the human who was God. Now, it's interesting, I think, that Micah, let me say it again, said these words around 700-some years before Jesus was born. Well, do you know who else in Jerusalem, as a sort of member of the high class of Israel, someone else was prophesying at the very same time? contemporary. His name was Isaiah. Did you know that? Isaiah was prophesying in the city of Jerusalem around the king. He had the ear of the kings and, and, and he spoke his prophecy. Outside of Jerusalem, among the common people, there was Micah. They were, they were both there together and, and they, in all probability, had met each other. And Isaiah, at this very self-same time, almost the same date, 
was giving one of his greatest prophecies, which we record in Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9. Do you remember how that one began? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and be with child. Do you remember that? And his name shall be Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew word meaning God with us. And then by chapter 9, he is exalting and says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, his name shall be called Wonderful, Mighty God, you know, and so on. So Isaiah was saying that God himself would be born among us as a genuine human being, born of a virgin, And Micah was saying, yes, and his address will be in Bethlehem, the incarnation, God joining the human race. How do you think about that? Why do you think that Jesus was born? Why do you think that the conception took place nine months earlier? You're dealing with a genuine human being here that we never forget is God. But he is limiting himself. So the emphasis is on his limitation of himself, his chosen limiting himself. We never forget he's God. We worship him as God. But the great emphasis, the wonder, the marvel, the astonishment of this is that he limited himself and became that speck of life in the womb of the virgin peasant girl Mary. And he grew in her womb as as a real, authentic human child for nine months and then was born. He He has shared with us the entire human experience. Even as we spent nine months in the womb and were born, so when God became one of us, he did not suddenly appear in a blaze of light. We're not dealing with a twilight zone here. We're dealing with a genuine birth a genuine taking to himself our humanity not god with a mask on this isn't god's halloween this is god literally incredibly beyond words but god becoming one of us joining us our brother human without ever ceasing to be god the son You see what I mean? We can't talk about the cross until we know who it is was nailed upon it. And so Mary bore in her womb the one that she had been told would be none other than the Son of God. It's no wonder it says that she hid these things in her heart. Who do you talk to about that? When she went to visit one of her ancient relatives, maybe an aunt, great aunt, I don't know, but but she went to the hill country of Judea, not far from Bethlehem, actually, and, and she just received that message. The child was growing in her womb, but how can you explain that? How, how can you tell anybody that? And so... She, she needs to get away, someone to talk to. And, and so she runs to the hill country of Judah where a rather ancient, I'll say great aunt, I, I say I'm not sure, but um, she, she was a, she's going to be the mother of John the Baptist at her ancient age. And as Mary walks into the house where Elizabeth is, who is now pregnant with John the Baptist, Elizabeth said, (laughs) she said, the child that was in her womb leaped for joy. 
at the presence of the Virgin Mary bearing God the Son in her womb. And ancient Elizabeth said, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord. I mean, I can't get my brain around this. That here is a human mother. But remember, just a girl. And she is bearing in her womb the one who is in Old Testament described as the Lord. Hmm. Oh, Mary, do you know who you carry in your womb? Wait, just a minute. Oh, hold, hold it. I said this was all happening in Nazareth. That's 70 miles north of Bethlehem, north of Jerusalem, actually. It's a little bit further. How are, you, how are we going to fulfill this? They're in Nazareth, established in Nazareth. Joseph, her husband-to-be, has a carpenter shop there. How are you going to get to Bethlehem? And anyway, they're not. Please understand this. Mary, I I cannot understand. I never could understand what must have been going on in her mind as she has received the news and knows the leaping of life within her womb and knows that it's true. There's a child without a human father who is none other than God the Son. What's going through her mind? It's certainly not to go through the Old Testament prophecies, especially when no one had a personal copy of the Bible. Remember that. There was one... um, probably in the synagogue, but even then it would be scrolls uh, and only the the rabbis and the priests could handle that. Uh, no, she didn't go back through the Bible and says, now what have I got to do to fulfill these prophecies? Not, don't, don't be daft. I mean, not at all. Their mind is not there. Their mind is to survive these moments that are causing life to crash around them. So no one knows of the problem. They're in Nazareth and they've got to get 70 miles south in order for this one to be born in the right place. It's amazing. It's a story all by itself. It began in Rome with the great Caesar of Rome. I mean, there you've got power, as the lie describes it. And, and you've got all the puppet kings and governors around. And the edict came that for, as a sort of coming from the Roman IRS, you've all got to go back to the city of your ancestors and register there so we'll know who's who and who's to pay taxes and just a lot of bureaucracy and silly papers and upsetting the entire social life of Israel for a number of weeks. Everybody's got to go back to the city of their ancestors. Well, guess where Joseph's ancestors came from? Straight from David, the king of the Old Testament. He's got to go back to Bethlehem. Guess where Mary comes from? She comes through a different line altogether, but straight back to David, the king. They've both got to go back to where David was born, Bethlehem. And I can only say that must have been the most unwanted I'd hesitate to say terrifying, but it would border on it. Here is Mary. And it's very obvious. It's, she, she's at the time of delivering. It's going to be within the next couple of weeks anyway. And we've got to go all the way, 70 miles. And of course, there's no cars and there's no trains. There's no planes. You get a donkey if you've got any money at all. Otherwise, you'd walk. And you've got to go upon a very dangerous, yes, it's fraught with bandits and unpleasant stuff. You'd be going on a journey. 
How many miles can you do on a donkey in a day? It's in 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 all the privations of that journey, I can, I believe, say with absolute authority, they had no idea that these turnings of bureaucratic government wheels to get them all to go back to their various ancestral homes that seemed all such a stupid waste of time and paper and people and but it was God bringing his chosen king to be born in the right place. And so they arrive in Bethlehem among the milling thousands who found their ancestors back in that direction. And of course, it's no wonder that every lodging place under the sun was taken. Of course. But what are we talking about when it says there's no room at the inn And so he was born in a manger. Doesn't that sound sweet? And if you get those Christmas cards, well, all the animals look as if they've just had their bath and um, they're almost human, aren't they? And they they all, you know, all that sort of stuff. They bow their head toward and there's that sweet little manger with beautiful yellow straw. All look so grand. Would you throw those all in the garbage? What, what, what does it mean, an inn and, and a trough of hay? I'll tell you what it means. We're talking much more of a very third world truck stop. What were all these people doing in this place? Normally speaking, leave out all those there because of the government edict. Leave that out. Uh, what were all those there who were normally there? They were what today we would call truckers. They, they were the people who came up from Egypt or down from Syria, even as far off as China and Europe, with their camels and their donkey trains. And they would be loaded with goods that they're transporting. These are the roughest, the dirtiest of the lot. They don't live anywhere. And, and, and they stopped at this place. It's outside of Jerusalem on its way to, we can get from here to Egypt and everywhere. And so a good place to stop normally. And, and there you'd park your camels out in the parking lot. And you would stay with them because you couldn't trust the man next to you for stealing what you had there. And so it was a parking lot filled with the braying of donkeys and, and, and the sound of the camels and the smell of the camels and the stink of the donkeys. And if, if you had any money at all, there would be a room. But you see, the room, don't please, this is, this is not the courtyard. Look, it, it was a hole, literally a hole chiseled into the wall enough for someone to turn around in and a dirty curtain along the front of that and you had some some sort of privacy and and, and the manger it was a trough where they they put the hay in the god who created all that is shall be born there god god almighty but God Almighty love has become human and, and a human newborn, so small, so weak, so insignificant. And they place him in this trough of hay that was meant for camels and donkeys. You know, I mean, can't you get the picture? There's someone, someone in a camel trough who is bigger than the universe. You see, the fact is, this is more than an invasion of love. This is, in fact, the recreation of the world. Now, I'll go beyond that. This 
was the beginning of the recreation of the universe and of mankind. This isn't just a neat little thing that happened. I say it again. This was the first act of the recreation of the old creation of mankind. You, you can't miss, if you put them together, you cannot miss the parallel that the Apostle John deliberately draws between Genesis chapter 1 and this. Genesis chapter 1, the description of the creation of all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Remember that? Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created. John, in his gospel, chapter 1, talking of this event, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he goes down further, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. There was the beginning of the old creation that Adam collapsed by giving it over to Satan. And into that fallen, collapsed creation came the Creator. And we're going to begin this all over again. We're going to resurrect it out of death and we are going to recreate its trashed. God. God became flesh. God took to himself our human. Doesn't that do so? Doesn't that keep you up at night? Look, do you realize who you are? You see, Satan, and I use that term very carefully, Satan, in his utter despising of the human race and of the God who created them, invented evolution to say that you are no more than rather developed, what, mud hole, that you're just a sophisticated animal. You see, we Christians believe something else. Not only do we believe that mankind was created by the hand of God and he kissed us into life by breathing into our nostrils the breath of life. We believe that's the old creation. But do, do, this, do you know who you are? Do you not just, just as a fact of being human? God, the creator took human. That's your stuff and my stuff. That's why I can talk to you now. We're humans. And God took human and made it his own. And he still and forever will be a human brother to us all. I, I, can't, I can't handle this. Mankind was in this very act, just that before we go any further, in this act, mankind was elevated. God took this brain, this mind, these thought processes, took this voice box, took this heart and this liver and this gallbladder and this spleen, took these muscles and ligaments and has been perfectly at home within our humanness ever since. See, he's never done that to monkeys. He's never even done it to angels. God didn't become a grasshopper. He became one of you, of me, part of our family. God united with humankind in the womb of a daughter of Eve. 
This is the first act of a new creation. God's starting the human race all over again. This is what you were supposed to be. Adam royally screwed it up. So God himself comes to become the human being, the image of God in human that we were all created to be. In the old creation in Genesis 1, it says, God said, let there be light. It also said the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep, the chaos. Yeah. In, in a manger, in an open parking lot truck stop in Bethlehem, the first sliver of light of a new world and a new creation that was identified by God the Son himself, the Word of God. And the Spirit of God has begun to move upon the chaos, came into our darkness, into our ghetto. But what are we saying? John 3.16, that's what we're saying. Have you ever read John 3.16? For God so loved, see, that's, the word there in the Greek language, agape. God so loved the world. In fact, the way it's in the original, the world so loved God. God so loved us. Well, what does so loved mean? How do you define so loved? Ah, hold it, it's going to tell us. God so loved the world. That, okay, now, the, that is going to connect us with what so loved means. He's so loved that he gave his only begotten son. Do you realize? He is saying that the love of God to you is to be equated to his love for God the Son, Jesus he so loved you and I that the equivalency of that, he, he, he will go as far as giving his son. That's who you are. And Bethlehem was the beginning of the unwrapping of that gift that is so astonishing, so amazing. And as that happened... There in Bethlehem, out in the fields, outside of Bethlehem, here we go again. There were shepherds. Oh boy, here we go. We've seen those on Christmas cards too, haven't we? And all their clothes have just come from the cleaners, didn't they? And no, do you realize that shepherds had a very, very bad name in especially New Testament Bible times? They were uncouth. They were, well, by what I mean, they didn't know how to live in society. They lived out there in the hills and sheep were their company and each other. Um, they were illiterate, couldn't read, write their own name, and despised by the people because, let's face it, they smelled of sheep. And when they came into town, you kind of knew they'd arrived and they were not welcome and in the synagogue, at the reading of the scripture and prayer and in the temple, they were declared as unclean, which meant that if they just came straight from the sheep, you can't come in here. Sorry, they, they wouldn't let you in. And so this is a, a, a bunch of people. They're, they're out there in the fields of Bethlehem. And they're, they're on night watch over their sheep. When we went to Bethlehem, I took uh, groups of people there. I have I, no interest in, in all those places where they say these things happened. Um, I prefer to make the Bible my guidebook. And so we never went to the official places. But after dinner, we left Bethlehem and we went out into these very fields. And we sat there under the stars, with the wind 
gently blowing through those grasses. And we read this story and realized we were actually sitting on the ground where all this happened. As those outcasts, those despised, declared unclean shepherds were watching their flock, suddenly the entire sky burst into light. And as far as the eye could see into never, never angel choir singing praise to God, singing joy, announcing glory to God in the highest and on earth the peace of God. The glory of God in the highest right now was laying in a manger as a newborn babe wrapped in a blanket. This is, this is what it's all about. And it was all in Bethlehem. Do you know the word Bethlehem? It's made up of two words in Hebrew. Beth-lechem. And Beth means house of. Lehem means bread. Bethlehem means it's the house of bread. Meaning if you live around these parts, you'll always have a good meal. But then there was more than one Bethlehem. And so they, they, they designated specifically. I mean, there could never be a mistake. They called it Bethlehem Ephrathah. And Ephrathah, again a Hebrew word or series of words, it means fruitful or it means bursting with life. It was saying this is the house of bread because the harvests we have around here are such abundance. Isn't that interesting? Of all the places Jesus might have been born, he was born in the place that was called the house of bread and abundance of harvest of food and life. For that one that lies in the feeding trough himself is the bread of life. He is, he is the Bethlehem. Does that make sense? He is the house of bread. His life he is the Ephrathah. He's the resurrection and the life. In him was life, it says. He says he's come to give us life and life more abundant. The key phrase to describe his mission is that he gives us eternal life. And that's not something pie in the sky. That's right now where I'm living. Life, which means that I'm out of the darkness, out of the clutch of Satan. Open eyes to have real relationship with the love of the God who loved me first. That's eternal life. Life, which means healing for our minds, healing for our emotion, healing for our bodies. Jesus never stopped doing that as he went through the length and breadth of Israel. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Life, life, life at every level, every strata. As I say... This was a very well-known passage of scripture in the days when Jesus was born. This is hard to believe. They knew it. They didn't have to study. They were, that's the first things they learned. That it said in Micah chapter 5, that the Messiah, the true king of Israel, would be born in Bethlehem Ephrathah. And you remember, I, I mentioned it earlier, when the wise men came, they came about two years after Jesus was born. Again, don't look at your Christmas cards. Um, and, and they'd seen the star, but they went where the star directed. But the, the star was not leading them across the desert. And when they come to Jerusalem, they still haven't seen the star in nearly two years. And, and so... They go to where they think would be the most obvious place. They go to the king. Big mistake. Herod, who was, 
he'd kill it. He did kill his own children because he thought they wanted his throne. And, and so when they say to him, that one who's born king of the Jews, he's beside himself, but he keeps his cool. And he calls in the priests from the temple, the authorities of scripture, and says, where is Messiah to be born? And they don't blink. They know immediately. They pull down the scrolls of the prophet Micah, 700 years old scroll, and they open it and they say, here, it says in chapter 5, he will be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod tells the wise men, go to Bethlehem. That's where he's supposed to be born. And then, of course, come back and tell me so I can kill him. But they go to bed. But just a minute, just a minute. Look, the prophecies of the Old Testament, and we know that some of them were understood. Daniel's prophecy, maybe especially. They worked it out. They knew that this was about the time that Jesus was to be born, or Messiah was to be born, as they would say it. So they knew this is about the time, and we know he will be born in Bethlehem. Wouldn't you think that if you had such a prophecy, and you knew it was about this time, wouldn't you think that they'd have posted guards or something in Bethlehem to look out for someone to be born there? Did you understand? It's incredible to me that They didn't have anybody in Bethlehem waiting for this to happen. They were the scholars. They could tell you chapter and verse immediately. Didn't have to think about it, discuss it, just pulled it off the shelf, opened it up, here it is. They knew this was going to happen. Oh, I'll agree, not in the way it did, but they knew it was going to happen. Uh, But... uh, They were too busy going through their religious stuff. Too busy studying the scriptures that spoke about it to actually bring it into life by posting somebody in Bethlehem to watch out for what would happen. And then, when these wise men of obvious tremendous intelligence, these would be professors at MIT, When they come and say they have added, not scripture, but even in in the universe, there's been lights and strange things that directed us here. You you would have thought, okay, I can understand Herod. He, He was a demonized fox. But the priests, the experts in this matter, you would have thought, when they heard of the wise men and they knew the scriptures, they would said, something's up here. A bunch of us will go with you. We want to find out what's happening. You would have thought. But no, they give the scripture, then close the scroll and say, you go down the road here, turn left, and you... They're totally disinterested in the scripture actually taking place. The wise men go off totally by themselves. There's not a scrap of interest to be found among those who are supposed to be the people for whom Messiah came. No wonder the first call of God to mankind was, where are you? Where are you? You're either hiding from me or you're not interested. Where are you? I'm here not to condemn you. I'm here not to judge you, not to reject you. I'm here to listen to your heart, to love you, enjoy you, make everything right, and to play with you in love and rest. But they're not interested. Well, that's, as I said, act one. And the final act was in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and his ascension and the giving of the Holy Spirit. But of course, that's the other story that we've been over many times. But you cut, this is the beginning, and you can't understand the end of the story without understanding the beginning of the story. So I pray that as we enter this season, which I might say Jesus was not born at this time of the year. This isn't the birthday of Jesus. This is the time that the church of the centuries 
has determined it would be a good idea to turn our attention to the birth of Jesus. And at other times of the year, we turn our attention to the other great events of Jesus' life and ministry. I think Jesus probably was born in September. There's a strong case he could have been born in April, but certainly not. No, this is not the birthday of Jesus. This is when the church, since forever, has turned its attention to worship the God who became incarnate among us. And may that be our experience in these days in which I speak. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May his presence fill your lives, fill your homes, and be seen radiant in your lives. So I bless you. And that's the way it is.